You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. Public relations has evolved to be about more than media outreach and placements. With practitioners today managing a brand's overall strategy and image, the role public relations plays in the marketing ecosystem is changing. As publicity efforts become more aligned with other marketing activities and the lines between earned and paid media blur. In this altered media landscape, the skills and tools needed to effectively build and guard brands are also adapting. It has become much more important for luxury brands to connect with consumers in an authentic way. And while the goal of PR has always been to connect brands with other businesses and consumers, the focus of PR has changed in recent years. With social media and influencer marketing generating a huge audience of global consumers for brands, storytelling has truly become a brand's currency. The coronavirus pandemic has changed the world as we know it. The world of marketing and public relations is no different. The pandemic is not the first incident that has made luxury feel like incredibly trivial things to talk and write about. But when consumers are struggling to find basic items like toilet paper or maintain a steady income, being marketed to by a luxury brand feels absolutely tone deaf and ridiculous. At the same time, many luxury brands have been losing sales to store closures and the economic downturn, and they simply can't afford to go dark. So how is the public relations industry navigating communications through all this? They say where there's crisis, there's also opportunity. My guest today on The Luxury Item is Cleo Anderson, founder and CEO of the Anderson Media Group, an award-winning London-based PR agency specializing in luxury and lifestyle. Cleo is a graduate in law and is a published author of articles in the PR sphere, most recently writing for Ariana Huffington's Thrive Global, and has become recognized as an industry expert, a PR innovator in all things luxury. Founded over a decade ago, the Anderson Media Group was ranked number one PR agency in London by 10 Best PR in 2017, ranking above a number of long and well-established PR agencies and solidifying the agency's position as a PR trailblazer. In 2020, both Pride Magazine, which is Europe's leading lifestyle magazine for women of color, and Forbes featured Clio, recognizing her as being at the very top of her field. Welcome to the luxury item, Clio. Thank you so much for inviting me. So I know you're based in London. So how's London holding up these days? You know, London has just gone back down into lockdown. And, uh, you know, I think as with everyone around the world, it's a little bit of a crazy time. Um, And I feel that, you know, going into Christmas, for example, people are kind of wondering how that's going to go. Because that's obviously a huge holiday. So people are worrying about, you know, whether they can be with their families or, you know, how exactly... Christmas will play out. So we'll wait and see. Yeah. Well, let's talk about something a lot more interesting, and that's you. So uh, (laughs) you you set up your business over a decade ago, and your journey is really, really interesting. So how did the Anderson Media Group all come about? Well, it was an accident. It was not planned by any means. Um, PR was not something that I sort of planned to go into. I'd actually studied law and did my degree in law and French, which was Mm. a fantastic basis, as it turns out, for business. Um, But I fell into PR because I was uh, assisting a lady who had her own small PR agency. She was based in Bel Air, and um, she was looking for an assistant. 
And I happened to come along and interview for the position and we sort of got along and clicked right away. Um, and so I started assisting her with various of the accounts that she had at the time. And um, that's really how I fell into it. But in terms of starting my own agency, I sort of found that I was being left alone a lot, um, which actually turned out to be a blessing. What and, do you mean by that? Um, well, she would you know, go and have her hair done. And um, I found myself sort of managing the agency for want of a better word. The thought came to me quite quickly that, okay, I'm running a business for someone else. And why hasn't it occurred to you, Cleo, not to do this for yourself? And that's where the idea really sort of started. The interesting thing about the story is I was only really with her for three months. So it was 12 weeks training hmm, <laughs> and right. sort of learning, you On know, the job training. Uh, ins and outs. 12 weeks, that, that was it. And I've been in business for myself ever since those 12 weeks of training, which when I look back, I think, you know, how bold and audacious to even, you know, think of doing such a thing. But I think, you know, for me, I had savings. So I had a little bit of money in the bank. And I think that's where I just had the, well, I had the balls really to just say, let's do this for myself. Yeah. So that's where it started. And, um, I went out and found my first couple of clients not long after, and uh, that's where it began. So from the outset, did you want the focus to be luxury and lifestyle? Um, well, when I was working with the lady, she really had um, a lot of clients that are similar to the ones that I'm working with now. So I guess, you know, I fell into luxury lifestyle. Um, we were working with some celebrities as well, um, but, you know, there were lots of sort of really lovely high-end beauty brands and travel brands and things like that. So I cut my teeth on that kind of PR. And so it just felt natural to kind of continue in that vein, really. Was there anything that you learned in, uh, in law that sort of helped you when you started out in PR? Yeah, most definitely. Um, I think it's really, really great to have a little bit of experience with contracts because, you know, um, understanding what kind of terms need to go into a contract, um, what kind of clauses maybe need to come out for certain clients. Having a, that basis of understanding is actually really fantastic. Um, so I feel it gives me a sort of a confidence in business that possibly I wouldn't have if I didn't have the legal basis in training. Um, and also having French as well, because my degree is in French and law, you know, having worked with some hotel clients specifically within France, Monaco, that's been a really great lesson as well. So yeah, it's definitely been really helpful. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen since you launched? Let me think. Do you mean with COVID currently or do you just... No, well, you know, even just even the last 10 years, you know, the whole, some of the changes that you've seen in, uh, in PR, particularly in lifestyle and uh, luxury. Yeah, I think there has been most certainly more of a focus 
on sort of um, celebrity endorsement has been a thing that's grown and grown. And it's definitely something that we use more and more in the agency. Um, what we found is that, you know, the more you have someone who is in the public eye and is using either a product or service that you, you are doing PR for, the more people want that product or service because it becomes aspirational. So we will have a lot of clients specifically within luxury um, that are really looking for that celebrity endorsement. And, you know, in the past we've had clients who have, you know, luxury handbag for $2,000. Can we get, you know, X celebrity to, um, carry it can we send it to them and see if we can you know have them photographed using it um so i think you know from that perspective definitely celebrity endorsement has become a much much bigger part of pr yeah are you finding uh, or have you been finding celebrities over the past 10 years have been more open to endorsing luxury and lifestyle brands they it depends on the person it really really does it depends on the on the celebrity um, so there are some that will happily accept the product, but they don't really do what you're hoping they will, which is be gracious and, you know, maybe let people know on social media that they're using it or that they have it. And then there are others that are just beyond gracious. So, you know, one name that stands out, for example, is Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, we had a client in Los Angeles who has uh, sort of children's, um, children's wear and we gifted something to Gwyneth and she sent back the gorgeous handwritten note thanking us. This was when Apple was born. So it was, you know, quite a few oh, years yeah. ago now. Yeah. Um, but I just thought, you know, that's a really classy touch um, because she knows that we can use that. She knows that we... You know, that's what we're looking for is something to really sort of link the celebrity to the brand. Um, others, you maybe don't have so much luck. Um, Sienna Miller was also someone that was really gracious and was happy for us to use her name um, in regard to a fashion item that we sent to her as well. So, yeah, it, it really does depend on the name, but some of them are, are really, really nice to work with. So how do you find the right celebrity for that brand? Is it something that the client sort of says, hey, this is the this would be the perfect spokesperson for our brand because they fit the image, um, the yeah. essence of our brand, or is it something there's a little more work behind that? I think um, it certainly begins with that conversation, to be honest. I think, you know, when we have a new, uh, a new, a new client who has a product or service, we will say to them, you know, who do you feel would be well aligned with your brand. And they often do have a really specific idea. Um, and then we go from there. Sometimes they don't and they want our feedback. And we'll sort of think about the, the brand and the messaging and we'll maybe come up with a few names that we think are aligned. But it's usually, you know, a group effort. So when you go out to pitch new business, how do you position the Anderson Media Group well, I think we're pretty lucky at this point to be um, pretty well known. I mean, people, obviously, the first thing they do is, you know, they do their research, they look on search engines, they want to see what kind of coverage you've been able 
too secure for people before. Um, so I think that being within the luxury and the lifestyle um, in, in those areas is something that we're known for at this point. So it's not so much positioning ourselves, but it's definitely something that people will sort of know about beforehand and when they approach us. Yeah, um, so they're, they're aware you're, yeah, so when they're shortlisting, you're already on the shortlist because they've already seen the brands yeah. you've worked with and the yeah. types of um, placement that you've been able to do. Yeah, and I think for us, you know, it's important um, on the website, for example, that we actually we have a showcase, we have a media showcase. So um, it really sort of gives, obviously not all, I mean, there are thousands of placements that we've done at this point, but we have a nice little selection within each you know, sector that people can look through and say, okay, that looks like something that we might want for our brand. And so I think it helps people in getting an idea of the kinds of coverage that we can get for them. So, you know, since the outbreak, the marketing industry has experienced many different pains. You know, mm. what is the, in your, in your belief, what do you think the overall current state of public relations and communications is specifically in the luxury business? I don't know. I feel as though it's crucial. I mean, I think that pretty much within any type of business at this point, I think PR and marketing really go hand in hand. They're less cousins, probably more like brother and sister. Um, and I think that every single business that there is needs it in some way. Um, I don't think that's ever going to change. Um, I think PR, you know, generally it's, it's this really great way of portraying something in its best light. And I think, you know, the best uh, publicists are able to sort of look at a brand and show it in its best light. Um, within luxury, obviously, you have the added pressure of really wanting to focus on those outlets, those media outlets, titles, TV shows, that are going to reach the luxury audience. And so our job really is to kind of position the client in that way and find the perfect outlets for the, the brand, essentially. How are you speaking to your clients now, especially over the past nine months the, uh, with the pandemic and luxury not being, especially early on, not being on top of everybody's mind? Yeah. What, were, what, were, what, were, what was their reaction and how, what did they turn to you for early on in terms of how to, commu what, how to communicate and what to communicate? I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head before, Scott. I think that you have to really be a little bit mindful of the fact that there are a lot of people that do not have... Um, you know, extra money for, you know, luxury holidays, expensive accessories, expensive fashions and things like that right now. And there are people that are just sort of really looking to um, put food on the table. It's interesting because I saw a little bit of a, a an uproar with Oprah's favorite things that came out very recently. Um, mm -hmm. You know, every year towards Christmas, she comes out with a list of her favorite things. There was a huge uproar because people were saying, you know, with all due respect, we do not have, you know, whatever it may have been, I can't remember the exact items, but nobody has right now $200 for candle. Nobody has, you know, $1,000 for, you know, things that aren't essential. And I think 
that really goes to show that people, you want to be a little bit mindful of the fact that people are not particularly thinking about that. It's not top of mind. But as we said, luxury brands do have to go on. They don't want to close. Um, and I just think, you know, the messaging has to be right. I think we have to uh, possibly pull back on things that seem a little bit obscene. Of course, there are always going to be people that still have money to spend, still have savings, still have money in the bank. But to sort of rub it into people's faces right now is probably not the right thing. So I think it's coming up with messaging that feels a little bit less flashy, um, a little bit more compassionate. But, you know, at the same time, businesses have to go on. And, you know, that's how those businesses are, you know, supporting their families. So, yeah, it's just sort of finding a little bit of a balance, maybe not being so crazy with the, the stories that we're pushing out there right now. Right. So how has your role changed as a public relations advisor during this health crisis? I think that, um, well, I'm cognizant of the fact that you know, a few of the, the businesses don't necessarily have the budgets that maybe they had earlier in the year or last year. And as an agency, we have really tried to cater to businesses in a way that is helpful. Uh, this is really something that me and my team are quite passionate about at the moment. We're really sort of into um, wellness and mental health i think it's something that everyone is talking about right now um i recently wrote a piece for ariana ariana huffington on her site thrive global mm -hmm. um she's very sweet and she emailed uh personally to sort of invite me to to write a piece we just decided that actually that's a really nice outlet for talking about you know it's still lifestyle not necessarily luxury lifestyle but we sort of came up with a brand new PR product that we can offer to businesses that has actually really really taken off which has been amazing so we have found a product and by a product I mean it's not a PR service which usually would take you know a six month campaign there's lots of work that goes into um pitching a client every month you have different angles that you're presenting to editors and journalists but there's no real guaranteed result that's what essentially PR is and people are paying thousands a month in order to sort of almost take a little bit of a gamble well people don't have the money to take the gamble so we wanted to offer something that is guaranteed so it's one product, it's one in-depth feature on a small range of health and well-being um, media outlets mm -hmm. that we are charging nearly hundreds for, not thousands. Um, and with the lower price point and with the guarantee, we've had businesses literally across the gamut who have jumped at it. So right now we're extremely busy with that. And I'm it feels nice to be able to offer people that because it's affordable yeah, and it's helping people in terms of, you know, starting conversations about well-being, health, uh, mental health, 
Um, and we've had all kinds of brands from, you know, wellness drinks, artists, um, life coaches, nutritionists, whole host of things, hotels as well, that have just wanted to commit to doing one feature. They know it's definitely happening. They're not spending a fortune on it. And um, it's been amazing. So when you're guaranteeing, so are you guaranteeing placement or are you guaranteeing impressions? We are guaranteeing placements. Oh, okay. Uh, beyond that, we can't, you know, you can't really guarantee everything. But um, yeah, we're guaranteeing the feature. And I think, you know, for a lot of people taking the, the gamble out of it, taking the not knowing whether they're actually going to be featured out of it is something that people are really jumping at. So that's yeah. been an amazing experience. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I know, I know many of your clients are travel in the travel industry. So how do you feel about the future of travel PR in this age of coronavirus? And who do you think will be the first people to start traveling? Well, it's been really interesting for me because I um, was very lucky in being able to spend a little bit, a bit of time in Greece this year in the summer. Um, so I did a little bit of island hopping, which, you know, I can't complain about at all. No. And it, it just happened to be really good timing because actually when the lockdown happened, I was already in Athens. And so we- I'm weeping for you, Cleo. <laughs> terrible, yeah, it's terrible. terrible job. And so we were just um, about to start working with a couple of hotels. We got one hotel client, they're both five star, but quite different. So the first is in Santorini and the second one is in Mykonos. So I actually got to see firsthand really how both of them were, were handling COVID. And at the time I was one of very few guests. Um, the hotel iconic Santorini in, uh, in Santorini, really beautiful high-end hotel. I believe I was the first guest there. And then during my stay, we had a few more people come. Um, but, you know, they're fastidious with the way that they've handled this. I mean, it is really amazing to see. So obviously, you know, everyone is wearing their mask and you've got um, very various things that are, have been put into place to make sure that they're social distancing, to make sure that the guests still feel looked after. But obviously, you know that, you know, there's everything has been sanitized, there's sanitizer everywhere. Um, they handled it really, really well. Um, and uh, the same thing with um, Semele Hotel, Mykonos, again, you know, really, really fantastic. Actually, Semele have a really great way of checking in, their own mm -hmm. sort of um, way of checking in where really no one touches anything. You sort of have um, a little contraption that you scan your, your passport onto and you know, they really, really thought it out really well. So for me, you know, to see those two great hotels in Greece, obviously took it very, very seriously. And then as time came on, there were more and more guests that were coming as things were opening up internationally. Um, so, you know, I think hotels are just beginning to adapt. They have to, they're not going to be able to close. It's their livelihoods, um, but they're just finding ways and systems to, deal with what's happening right now um and as for 
people that I think will be traveling first. Um, you know, I've already seen there are people that have the budgets for these gorgeous hotels. They do. It's not a huge amount of people, but there are people that, you know, were able to kind of fly to Santorini and spend a thousand dollars a night, uh, you know, in this beautiful hotel. And I think possibly those are going to be the first groups, people that have sort of that have the funds and that have been waiting a while to travel. I think they're, the, they're going to be the first people to really uh, make the leap. But I know that, you know, ordinary workers, ordinary people are chomping at the bit to kind of, you know, travel to Spain, travel to France, especially, you know, from the UK, the, these are sort of the nearest European destinations, the most favorite destinations for us. I do think it will happen, but I just think, you know, with all of the, the government legislation, it's just difficult to plan timing wise. I think that's the issue. What, what kind of services do you currently offer your clients? I don't know if you could name a few of the clients and what kind of things that you do for them? Yeah, well, um, I just mentioned um, Iconic Santorini, you know, beautiful hotel that we are doing what I would say is really standard PR campaign. So there's a sort of a whole process, um, usually with a hotel specifically. Um, unfortunately, I have to go and visit, <laughs> which, <laughs> um, you know, is part of the job. Um, so it's a case of going to see it, then putting together a PR plan. And generally a PR campaign will last no less than six months mainly because you know PR is cumulative it takes a little bit of time for the campaign to build um, to sort of write really great press releases that you're pitching to media coming up with really great story angles that we feel that media will want to um, cover and really thinking about the seasonality so um, you know, what kind of angles will we be pitching for Christmas or what kind of angles will we be pitching for, you know, summer 2021, for example. Um, there's a lot goes into a campaign. It's quite um, involved. So that's sort of standard PR. Um, another really great client that we're just working with now is called the Thai Institute. They're actually based in New York. Thai is sort of um, an ancient, almost martial arts, very mm -hmm. interesting. And the guy that, that heads that up has been doing this practice for over four decades. And I think he's 13th generation. Mm. So it's really, really amazing. And they've come up with this little uh, device that uh, you put on acupoints, sort of your acupuncture points on the body and it really sort of helps to heal. Um, so that's a wellness client that we're working with currently. Hmm. And they, uh, rather than doing the standard PR that we're doing maybe for you know, the hotels, they're really keen to do the Oscars video bags. So every year we work together with um, a distinctive assets, which is a really fantastic company that deals specifically with the Oscars video bag. So it's getting placement um, in the Oscars, in the yeah, Oscars exactly. uh, uh, after party bag. Yes. Uh, well, actually, it's not actually an after party bag. This bag is delivered to their homes just before the Oscars. Ah, so it's the uh, nominees. Which, the, so the nominees yeah. get that? 
Yes, it's the top 25 Oscars nominees. Um, so, you know, with this opportunity, you absolutely know, you know, Brad Pitt was a, you know, a nominee this year, for example, in February earlier this year. We know for a fact that he had the bad delivered. You know, Charlize Theron, um, Leo DiCaprio. So that's a really, really great way, again, of guaranteeing coverage because we know that everyone from Vogue to Forbes to Good Morning America to Us Weekly, everyone is going to be writing about, okay, what was in the bag? What right. was in the bag this year? So for people that sort of, you know, it's not cheap, but for people that have the budget and really want to know that they're going to be sort of getting that high level visibility, that is an amazing opportunity. So that's something that we're working with right now for the, the Thai Institute. So have clients' expectations changed with the exponential rise of digital and social media, as well as influencer marketing? Do you work with bloggers and influencers to get placements? Absolutely do, yeah. I think um, we have to, <laughs> because I think if you're not, you've sort of lagged behind and you're not, you know, at the cutting edge of what people are expecting. It's not something that we do in-house. You know, we really do deal with the PR, the placements, the, um, the magazines, newspapers, online, TV. But we definitely do work with partners that have that capacity. So we work with a really great um, woman, Roz, in London, who has an agency called The Influencers Diary. And she has a huge roster of influencers who deal with pretty much anything that you could think of, many of which have, you know, many, many followers on social media and they really know what they're doing. So, for example, with the, the hotel client in Mykonos, specifically when I sat down with them in the summertime, um, the owner and the management specifically wanted to know, you know, do you have some influencers that maybe we could speak to. So we put them together with our partner and they're now sort of talking about exactly which influencers they're going to be working travel with. Travel influencers. Specific hotel. Clear, they're travel Go influencers, ahead. right? Um, yes, but you'd be surprised with hotels. It's not just about travel. You know, sometimes they want to push food. Sometimes they want to push other things other than travel. Um, sometimes they're selling things that are not necessarily to do with travel and hotel. Um, at the moment, they're working with a really great chef. So at the moment, we are pushing Greek food as one of the topics that we're, that we're doing in the campaign for that particular hotel. But yeah, we have lots of different influencers that approach us. Obviously, with that, there comes an extra cost. So it really depends on the client, whether they want to you know, add that cost to the cost of PR. I don't like to push it, but certainly if it's something that they want and have asked for, then definitely it's something that we can, we can organize for them. Yeah. So, you know, with the digital and social, you now have more means at your disposal to share news directly and engage with the media. Mm. And beyond being able to write, it seems visual communication skills are also becoming more necessary in PR as photo and video centric platforms continue to take off. So visual stor storytelling is really at the heart of how luxury brands communicate and engage with their consumer. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that you know, luxury lifestyle is aspirational. People 
are not necessarily going to have a, a visceral reaction to a 2D photograph of the outside of a hotel, <laughs> for example. When I'm doing my client visits, specifically with the luxury hotels, I make it a point of taking lots of gorgeous photographs, obviously of the facilities, the hotel, sometimes the staff, but I try to put myself in the picture sometimes too, for things like Instagram, because I feel that by doing that, you're making it more experiential. You're making it more, um, you're showing people how it would be for them to be in that environment. And I think that that's what, you know, luxury lifestyle is. You don't just want to see a picture of a pool. You kind of want to see someone enjoying splashing around in the pool, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so in a way, I have to sort of put myself out there a little bit to really showcase that, you know, these are the various things that you could do at this particular hotel. Um, certainly, you know, videos as well, I think work really, really well. Um, things like Instagram stories, not something that we really do, but certainly um, on our clients' uh, pages, they tend to engage a lot with things like Instagram stories. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely feel that that's something that helps within that genre. Do you think the press release is still relevant or, you know, have tweets and Facebook and TikTok and Instagram posts really replaced the workhorse of what PR is? I think that the, the press release is still valid. I definitely, you know, I know from within the agency when we're talking to clients and we've just started working with clients, they want to see a great press release. They want to see something that you know, is written up that, that really describes what they're pushing really well, that has great imagery. Um, it's definitely not obsolete. And a lot of editors and journalists do still want to see a press release. Uh, we have a really great um, upscale living magazine, a really great magazine based in Florida. And the editors that we work with there will definitely say, you know, please, can you send us a press release for you know, all of the hotels that you're currently working with. So it's definitely something that people want. But that being said, you know, I've been in this for a while now, and I have to say that I'm in the fortunate position that I can make a story happen without a press release, which actually is pretty amazing. Yes. Um, so I could be on a client visit, sitting on the beach, having a pina colada, <laughs> I've got my iPhone, I can have an idea for a story, I can email or even, you know, WhatsApp um, an editor that I have a great relationship with, and I can have a story confirmed within a few hours. But that, but that, that's taken time to get to that level. Um, you know, that's not something that I could have done when I started out. And a lot of the times, you know, they won't say, oh, well, Cleo, can I see a press release? They'll just say, yeah, I love that. So just send me the images and let's get cracking. That to me is amazing. And it's yeah. nice when I'm able to do that. Yeah, so not obsolete, but I think not as crucial as one might think. Right. What about the traditional media reporters and editors? Do they still retain their influencing power? I think they definitely do. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, social media is huge. And, you know, we have these influencers and they do have sway, but make no mistake, there are still clients who are not really interested in that at all. 
Um, I recently had a conversation with a really established dental surgeon in London. She's really at the top of her field. She was really only interested in being in Vogue, the actual book, the hard copy. Uh, Harper's Bazaar, Tatler, you know, the high-end British glossy magazines. And, you know, she's not really interested in being online, <laughs> Vogue online, it's not the same thing for her. And I think there are always going to be those magazines that are really um, sort of seen as the, the top of the top, especially I would say the cosmetic surgeons that we work with, the dental surgeons that we work with in that field specifically, their number one thing when they come to us is, can you get me into Vogue? the actual magazine. So I don't think that's ever going to be obsolete. And I do think that, you know, much like when Kindle came out and people said, oh, do you think books will be obsolete? No, there are always going to be those people that want to sort of feel the pages, mm -hmm. have them on their coffee table. I'm one of those people. Yep. I like to have a Vogue and Harper's Bazaar on my coffee table at home. I'm not interested necessarily in you know, printing off something that's been online. So yeah, they, de they definitely do have their sway for specific types of people. But then you will have other clients that are not interested in that and that do want influencers with a million plus followers. So it just depends on their, their tastes and their style. Yeah, how closely, do you, do you work closely with the marketing departments of these companies? We do, we can. I mean, often, you know, when we're working with a new client, the PR manager may well also be the, the marketing manager. And certainly the two dovetail and um, they sort of work hand in hand. I think that often as a PR agency, you have to be working in tandem with what their marketing strategy is. You obviously can't be launching a PR campaign that has nothing to do with what their overall marketing strategy is. So in that respect, absolutely, yeah. I would say that we, um, we do work pretty closely with the marketing team. You know, the pandemic has largely put the kibosh on live events. And prior mm. to the outbreak, events seem to be playing a larger role in communications, especially in the luxury world. Mm. PR firms often handle events, you know, staging memorable occasions to mark these milestones or celebrate launches, driving media in the process. So what were some of the dominant trends that worked in the events business? I think there's just been a lot of, um, obviously, virtual virtual events that have been happening i think zoom has probably <laughs> their business has probably you know risen exponentially because you know people have had to find a new way of doing things um i've heard of you know for example alcohol companies that are shipping their alcohol their wines their spirits to the homes of people and then hosting virtual events where they're cocktail doing parties yeah which i think is i've been to one. <laughs> oh, you did yeah yes. i've yet to do one how was it how it was great it? it was uh with this brand pomp and whimsy actually i'm having the founder on um in a couple of weeks and great. invited me to the uh, it was great so i i just feel that people are you know as you said coming up with these new ways of connecting with people you're still tasting the drink you're still having that social 
element, that social aspect. We're also working with a magazine, um, very high-end. It's a global magazine, but they're online specifically, very glossy. Um, the editor-in-chief is has become a really good friend of mine at this point, Chris. He's amazing. And he's sort of usually, you know, he's used to socializing with the polo playing, you know, um, hunting set. <laughs> right. um, and he has come up with a new online store that he's just launching. And he said to me, you know, do any of your clients want to do virtual masterclasses, which I think is genius, genius idea. So mm. what he's doing is he's launching this uh, store in, in tandem with the magazine where we have various different experiences, various different experts, anything from, you know, um, someone who works in a five-star hotel who can show you exactly how to make a bed look just as it is as if you're walking into a you know a four seasons or something like that or it could really be anything anything that's a master class that people would really want to kind of learn how to do um, and he's selling it on the online store and again this is another way of people learning things or having these experiences virtually that they maybe wouldn't necessarily be doing if this pandemic hadn't happened so I think you know, people are coming up with these really novel ideas, and I think it's great. I think it's uh, it's a great way of um, kind of promoting uh, creativity. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do you see uh, big data playing a big role or a bigger role in PR to guide strategies? I don't. Do you work with data at all? We do. You know, it's interesting. I think you can get a little bit overwhelmed with how much data is out there. If I'm honest. Um, so I feel that you have to be quite focused and I feel that you have to be kind of ignore what's not necessarily relevant and just stick to what is relevant. Um, I think within PR generally, you have to have your eye on the zeitgeist, on what's happening right now, on uh, what news just happened this, this morning that may well have something to do with a client that you're currently working with. because that could be a, an amazing spark of an idea for a press release or, you know, as I said, an email that I might shoot off to someone very right. quickly and say, right, this has just happened this morning. How about this? My client ties into it really nicely. Do you think that we could do something like this? So it's about filtering. I think you've got to filter. Look at what is relevant ignore what is not because I think you could get so bogged down with just how much big data there is out there and just sort of cherry pick what's relevant and and go from there so how do you see luxury evolving in 2021 and, and let's talk about travel trends what travel trends do you expect to be emerging over the next 12 months well I think that hotels in general are having to not necessarily pivot. I know that's been a big, uh, big buzzword uh, this <laughs> right. year, but um, I've noticed that they're becoming more flexible. Um, yesterday, I read an amazing story about the Peninsula Hotel, and they are opening up their check-in and check-out times. So literally, you have a room from morning till night. It's yours. You can check in from 6 a.m. if you arrive at 6 a.m. You can check out at 10 or 11 p.m. 
Um, so this idea of, you know, please don't arrive before two, please be out of your hotel room by 12 has completely gone. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that they tested at the Beverly Hills uh, Peninsula initially. Mm-hmm. It worked really well. And so they rolled it out to every Peninsula hotel that they have. So I think that's a really great example of hotels kind of knowing that they have to maybe offer a little bit more, especially if then they're in the luxury space. Because again, people, all right, even if they still have a budget to come to the hotel, they're being more selective about where they're spending their money. And so I feel that hotels are going to be having to think of these new ways of making the customer feel even more like King. And, you know, so you, think, so you think it's more personalization that they're looking for these travelers? Yeah. yeah, I think it's that. I think it's that. Make it, things being more tailored, feeling more personal. Um, for people to want to spend their money to go there. And I think that you're going to find that the luxury hotels are really going to be competing with different ways of grabbing the consumer's attention in that way. So I think that's definitely going to be a trend coming up in 2021. So what's next for your agency? You know, what is your goal for 2021 and beyond? Have you looked that far? Yeah, I have. I always have goals. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I always have goals. You, can, great. I love it. Can you share some of those, the, one, the shareable goals? Right. Well, um, I definitely want to be working with more hotels in the US on the East and West coasts. Um, that's definitely a goal for me. Um, we're going to be opening a, a new flagship office in Los Angeles. Hmm. Uh, the timing right now is not 100% certain because of everything that's been right. happening. Right. You basically want to see how it all shakes out. Yeah, I'm going to wait a little bit and see how things play out. Um, but that's definitely something that I'm looking forward to because California for me feels like a second home. And we were approached also by Tyra Banks. She actually saw the feature um, in Forbes that I that I that I Right, did. that's right. That's a great, um, that was a great feature. Thank you. And um, so she reached out and she has three projects that she's interested in us working on. Um, I don't know if you know this, but she's just launched a premium ice cream brand. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, she's just, she's fantastic. You know, I think she's amazing. I've wanted to work with her for such a long time. So it's actually a really amazing thing that she reached out. She's, she's launched in California and I think they're looking for us to um, help with the launch in Europe when, it, when that happens. Um, also, she's got Model Land, which I don't know if you know, mm-hmm. is um, sort of a, a theme park based around, you know, modeling, photography and, and things like that. Again, we're going to be launching that in Europe at some point. So we're going to be um, looking at doing the PR for that. And a third project that I've been sworn to secrecy for, so I can't tell you what it is, oh. but it's those first, How could you top those first two? Those were amazing. <laughs> well, it's true. So, yeah, so we have some really amazing um, campaigns coming up. And, you know, I'm just looking to really grow. We want to be seen as the number one luxury PR agency. We want all the great hotels and all the 
premium brands to know that the Anderson Media Group is the agency to be with. So that's that's the goal. That's the plan. So <laughs> my final question, which is the luxury item question, which I ask all my guests, mm-hmm. if you were stranded on a deserted island and you could only have one luxury item, what would that luxury item be? It can't be any form of air transportation. It can't be a yacht or anything that requires mobile service. You're there all alone, you and a palm tree and the sand and the water. What would that one luxury item be that you would like to have? Ooh, such tough questions, Scott. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, am I allowed to have? You're allowed to have whatever you want. There's no rules here except the ones that I told you before. Okay. Well, then I would go for a bookshelf full of books. A bookshelf full of books. Any particular kind of books? Well, I think, you know, reading is a great way of escaping, you know. Um, So even though you might be sitting there under a palm tree, if you've got all these books with all these stories based all around the world, you're traveling without moving. So that's what I would choose. I love that answer. There, there were other <laughs> book, there were, there other guests had book answers too. So you're not alone. It's a, it's a great answer. <laughs> Cleo, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, giving some insights into what's going on in the PR business and your company and your, your success. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a lot of fun. That's it for this episode of the Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.